And now in the name of our loving, liberating and life-giving God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. May be seated. Well, good morning, Trinity. <laughs> it is a real privilege to be able to be here as part of your centennial celebration and observance of years of faithfulness, of hard work, and of making a difference in this community and in our world for the cause and the way of Jesus of Nazareth and his love. And so I wish you a happy birthday. <laughs> you really don't look a day over 30, but <laughs> And I do thank you for your dean, uh, uh, Troy, thank you, and, and your staff, and everyone who's been so wonderful. And thank you to uh, your bishop um, and the folk from the diocese that I got to spend time with. Uh, your bishop is special. She is the only bishop on one leg and a scooter who gets everywhere. <laughs> it's, it's just amazing. <laughs> And so it has just been a joy and a privilege to be with you and um, Canon Chuck Robertson, who is um, one of the canons who works with me. I refer to him as the State Department because he um, oversees all of our work, if you will, uh, beyond the Episcopal Church in the Anglican Communion, our Ecumenical Interfaith, Office of Government Relations, Episcopal Migrant Ministries, and all of that. Um, and he came and worked with Bishop Catherine some years ago after having been canon to the ordinary here. And so it's, it's just a joy for him to be able to come back home to Arizona as well. I also want to thank you, Dean. I went and listened to his sermon a few weeks ago. Love and marriage, love and marriage. <laughs> <laughs> I told him that was one of the finest sermons I think I have heard in years. <laughs> and I want to thank him for that. Thank you, Dean Troy. Thank you, Troy. <laughs> Allow me, if you will, to offer a reflection on the gospel that you just heard from the 10th chapter of Mark's gospel. Let me do it by going back earlier in Mark's gospel for a text from the very first chapter where Jesus first meets Peter and Andrew, who were brothers, and James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were brothers, the four of whom were fishermen. And Jesus came up to them and said, follow me. You've been fishing for fish. Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Follow me, and I will make you more than you ever thought or even dreamed you ever could be. Follow me, and I will show you a life defined and determined by a love that will not let you go. And that life will show you possibilities you could not even dream of. Follow me, 
and my way will change your life and your lives will change the world. Follow me, Trinity, in the next 100 years. I don't think I'll be back to preach for that one. <laughs> but follow me in my ways of love and I will show you possibilities and dreams you didn't even imagine possible. Follow me. In that spirit, the old songwriter from India said, I have decided to follow Jesus. Y'all know that one? I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Follow me, and I will make you more than you ever dreamed. Those words, follow me, following, they're pretty important. They're the first words, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer observed, the first words of Jesus to Simon Peter in Matthew, Mark. And they're the last words of Jesus to Simon Peter in John. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me, Trinity. Into the unknown future. And you thought you were just fishing for people, for fish. I'll show you how to fish for people. They're so important that the prayer book picks up with them. For example, in the service of holy baptism, you know, after you do all the vows, do you renounce Satan and all the spiritual forces of wickedness that rebel against God, you know, and the godparents and parents or the adults um, say, I, I, I renounce them. Uh, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness that rebel against God? I, I renounce them. Do you, do, you, do you renounce all that draws you from the love of God? Y'all remember this from baptism? You know, and, and, you know, I renounce them. And then do you turn to Jesus Christ and accept him as your savior? I do. Do you promise to follow? Do you, do, do, do you, uh, what was it? What is the next one? Let me see. Where is it? <laughs> the last one is, do you promise, here it is, to follow and obey him as your Lord? Follow me. It's there in baptism. But the church has had experience with people over the centuries and is well aware that we can easily forget what we promised to do in baptism. And so every couple of years, we send a bishop around, and they come around for confirmation, which is really a reminder of what you promised to do when you were baptized. And, and the bishop will ask, do you reaffirm your renunciation of evil? And you, know, you say you do. And he said, do you renew your commitment to Jesus Christ? And in confirmation, you say, I do, and I promise to follow and obey him as my Lord. And just in case you still didn't get it, they put it in the catechism, the teaching of the prayer book. And, and the question is, what is the duty of all Christians? The duty of all Christians is to follow Christ to come together week by week to worship, to work, pray, and give for the spread of the kingdom of love. Follow me. 
two words that make all the difference in the world. The truth is, they made all the difference for those first folk who heard it. Now, I want you to forgive me for what I'm about to say, and I, I say this with utter and absolute respect for our apostolic ancestors. But when you read the New Testament, the Gospels, and look at the original disciples, you do have to come to the conclusion that this really wasn't the A-team. <laughs> I mean, it didn't, I mean, the, the, you know, the, the Bible's pretty honest about them. I mean, it really is. And um, you, the story you just heard from the Gospel of Mark, the 10th chapter, James and John, the Zebedee brothers, who were among the first four to follow it. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fish for people. They were among the first four with Peter and Andrew. They heard him. These guys were fishermen, not recreational fishermen. This isn't about fly fishing and trout fishing, you know. This is, they were fishermen. They fished for a living. And Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fish for people. But I got to tell you, they really were not the A-team of apostolic discipleship. <laughs> a friend of mine reminded me once, he said, can you find any instance in the entire New Testament where these four who were fishermen by training, professional fishermen who lived off of catching fish, can you find one instance where they ever catch one fish on their own without Jesus, <laughs> who was a carpenter, telling them how to do it? No, no. This is not the A-team of apostolic discipleship we're dealing with. And then you get to this morning's story, and James and John, the, the Zebedee boys, as they call them, um, the Zebedee boys, they're brothers, they wait till the other disciples are not around, and then they slither up to Jesus, and they say, you know, Jesus, you've been talking about this kingdom coming, and you taught us in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And they, they're thinking this kingdom means there's going to be a new administration in town. That, 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 that the election has oh, and it's swung one way or another. And they did all the recounts and the recounts and the recounts and the recounts and the recounts. <laughs> and, and so they figured, okay, we want good jobs in the new government. And so they say, Jesus, um, I, I, I want a good job for myself, and I want a good job for my cousin, and I got a cousin, Guido, who's good with numbers. He'll be good in the Treasury Department. You know Jesus probably wanted to pull his hair out. Here Jesus is waxing eloquent. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the merciful. But theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And these guys are just thinking about us a new administration in town. And then to make matters worse, the other disciples are furious when they find out. But that's actually, Mark gives us a more sanitized version. Look at Matthew's version of the same story. And James and John don't slither to ask Jesus to give them new jobs. They send their mama to do it. <laughs> now that is about as low down as you can get to get your mama to do your dirty work. <laughs> this is not the A-team of apostolic discipleship. And, you know, when you get to the, the stories of the crucifixion and the Last Supper, you know, and Peter says, Lord, don't worry about a thing, because I got your back. If you know a Simon Peter, you better walk backward, because you don't want him having your back. Um, 
and, and, and as the night went on, um, they all kind of, the cock crowed twice and Peter denied him thrice. Uh, Peter was gone, James gone, Andrew gone, all of them, all of them gone and disappeared. And when they got to the cross, at, when Jesus is finally crucified, the only folk there, fortunately, there were some women disciples, Mary Magdalene and the other Marys, they were there at the foot of the cross. And then on that Easter morning, when the earth quaked by the power of love, Jesus was raised from the dead, though they didn't know it. It was Mary Magdalene and the women disciples. It was the sisters who got up and went to the tomb. They didn't even know he was alive, but they got up and went anyway. And that shows you the wisdom of God that is thought beyond even our patriarchal imaginations and realize that the kingdom is bigger than anybody. Because if Jesus hadn't been wise enough to have women disciples, we still might not know he rose from the dead because the guys were all asleep. Oh, this. We are not dealing with the A-team here. I mean, we are really not. And yet, they kept following anyway, in spite of their human frailties, in spite of their failings, in spite of their sinfulness. They kept following in the way of Jesus. You know, the original name of the church was the way. That's what it was called in the Acts of the Apostles. They kept following in the way of Jesus, in the way of his love, in the way of his spirit. And after a while, his way became their way. And they did things they never imagined they ever could or would have done. They created, they really did with the spirit. It's there in the Acts of the Apostles. They created what, what Jesus called the, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, where there's plenty good room, as the old slave used to say, for all of God's children. They created what Dr. King called a beloved community. They actually created a community made up of people who were former slaves and people who were formerly freed, people who were women, people who were men, children, people of all races, all nations, all Republicans, Democrats, independents. They created before civil rights legislation, before the French Revolution and the Declaration of Liberty, Fraternity, and Equality, before old King John signed a Declaration of Rights on Runnymede, before Voltaire, before Brown versus Board of Education of Topeka, Kansas, for the Universal Declaration of Human Rights in the United Nations in the 1940s. Before all of that, they created an egalitarian community of people profoundly different. And we got a hymn that sings, in Christ there is no east, no west, in him no south, no north. St. Paul said it this way in Galatians chapter 3. All who have been baptized. Anybody here baptized? Okay, let me see your hands are baptized. Got a witness. All right, we got some baptized. All right. All who have been baptized, he says, have put on Christ. 
And there is therefore no more male or female. There is no, for, no, no slave or free. There, there, there is no more Jew or Gentile, for all are one in Christ. That's the beloved community. That's God's dream for this world. And the church, those who follow in the way of Jesus and his love, we are witnesses to that. And if you look at the service of holy baptism, one of the last prayers for the candidates is send them out into the world as witnesses to your love, witnesses to the beloved community, witnesses to a society where every man, woman, and child, no matter who they are, is a child of God and respected in the eyes of each other and in the eyes of the law. That is the vision of the gospel. It doesn't matter whether you are liberal or conservative. It doesn't matter whether you are black or white, Native American, non-Native American, American or Russian, in Christ, there is no East nor West, but one great fellowship of love. Follow me, Trinity, and I will make you more than you ever dreamed possible. Oh, I wish I could be here 100 years from now. Well, probably not really, but. <laughs> a number of years ago in the 1940s, there's a woman named Ruth Miller who was in a terrible fire. Um, and the result of burns and other injuries, both of her legs had to be amputated to save her life. She was an Episcopalian and her priest visited her. And in one of their conversations, she was so downcast and just despaired. And the priest just prayed with her and I guess gave her communion, that kind of thing, and did what he could. And as time went on, she kind of rallied and just, just said, if God would just give me legs, help me to walk again get these prosthetic devices to work. I'll serve him. Anyway, the prosthesis eventually did work, and so she lived with two prosthetic devices. In the, these are, this is in the old, this is the 1940s. Um, so these were pretty awkward things to live with, but she did, and uh, she walked with crutches and was able to walk again. And she kept good on her word. She promised God if he would give her legs, she would follow him. And she did. And so you know what she did? She joined the altar guild. I said, now that's the first time I've ever heard of the altar guild as being the promise to prayer. But then I became a parish priest. And I can't tell you how many times the altar guild saved my neck. I don't know about you, Troy. <laughs> They were an answer to prayer, and I suspect they are here as well. But she kept her word, and she happened to be a seamstress, and so she would, you know, sew the linens and that kind of thing, and repair things, and make, she actually made vestments and that kind of thing, and she made vestments for acolytes and, and, and choir girls, and these were the days when the boys were acolytes and the girls were in the choir, the junior choir. And she did that, and, and uh, for generations of kids, who some years ago gathered 
to thank her. A number of those kids went on to become Episcopal priests. One of them went on to become a presiding bishop. When this presiding bishop was five years old, Ruth Miller stood him on her dining room table <laughs> to measure for a cassock for a five-year-old child. And when I was ordained deacon at the Cathedral in Buffalo, Dean, she said, I got my legs. They're your legs. And where you go, I go. Well, a couple years ago, I went to a wedding A little family affair. Um, <laughs> and I remember as wonderful as it, it was wonderful and a real blessing, when I stood up to preach before two billion people and Her Majesty the Queen, when I stood up to preach, Ruth Miller appeared on my mental horizon, now then having gone on to glory. And I realized that Ruth Miller had become more than she ever dreamed she would be. Trinity, that is my prayer for you, that you will follow this Jesus in his ways of love, and in the next 100 years, become more than you could ask or imagine. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow creation in those almighty hands of love.